Amen. Let's open the Bible to Ezekiel 16. Brother John just prayed, Lord, we're thankful for these truths. And so I just, as we begin uh, this message, just want to remind us, this really comes from a text message from Andrew Beecham this morning, but just want to remind us what our relationship with Scripture should be as we come to the Word, as we come to uh, a sermon or come to the reading of the Word. If we remember 2 Timothy 3, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So the, the, uh, because it's given by inspiration of God, um, we understand immediately that this is authoritative. So there are not multiple voices speaking, but there's God's voice speaking from Scripture, and we sit under the authority of God's Word. It's important we come to Scripture that way. And then as we are engaging with Scripture, it is, um, there, there is doctrine, so there's teaching, and then there is uh, reproof. So there's some, some actions to turn and, and, and be aware of that are wrong, wrong thinking, wrong behavior maybe. And then there's a correction, correction. And then there is training, instruction in righteousness. And this, this is how we grow. So expect that this morning. Expect and approach Scripture that way. Lord, I want to learn. You have the authoritative teaching on every subject there is. We want to hear from you. And as we are hearing from you, we're going to recognize... Wow, there's some wrong thinking in my mind. There's some wrong uh, heart attitudes or even wrong understanding. And I want to be reproved of those. And I want to be corrected in that wrong thinking. And then, Lord, I want you to train me through your word. So script, uh, a sermon doesn't always follow all those, uh, uh, that, that pattern of all those things. But together, this should be the effect of what's happening in our relationship with the, with the Word. So this is a powerful thing we're doing when we come to the Word of God. When we come to Scripture, it is given by inspiration of God. So the God who is, the God who was, the God who ever shall be, has spoken. He has spoken, of course, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He has left us His Word, His will, His truth. And so may we, as believers in, in Lord Jesus Christ, may we have a right relationship um, and an eager relationship to the Word of God and the Scripture. It comes from God. So Ezekiel 16, um, let me just tell you, we're going to talk today again um, about what it means to be a woman. Genesis 1.27, the Lord made them both male and female. So we're seeking to understand what does it mean to be a woman. We've preached two previous sermons on this, um, looking at women uh, and relationships are integral to being female, and then women in nurturing. Um, so I want to move forward today to a new subject. We sort of followed a pattern with all these sermons of just a meditation on the subject, and then looking at God's design, and then looking at the reality of life under the fall, and then closing with redemption. So what is a redeemed uh, trait look like? Uh, how do we approach this in a redeemed way? How does the gospel inform who we are and what we are seeking to be. So let me just tell you, uh, this is not an apology, I'm just going to tell you, this is going to be a two-part message, okay? I, I, this is too, too important, too applicable to our, our age and who we are. This is a two-part message. So today will just be a meditation and then looking at God's design. And we're talking today about beauty, okay? About beauty. That beauty is integral to an understanding of femininity, of being female. So I want to begin just by saying this. If you are a parent of young children, you should desperately want your sons 
and your daughters to have a Christian, biblical, biblically uh, fa- founded understanding of beauty. Just saying the word. I, I get to, to meditate on these things for weeks and weeks and weeks prior to standing in the pulpit. And just meditating on this subject, it's clear it's an it's important subject. It's a very vital subject. But then taking the subject and putting it down into individual lives and experiences, it just jumps off the charts of how important it is. Of sad stories and wonderful stories. It is absolutely vital that we as Christians have a Christian understanding of beauty and what it means to be beautiful and how God values beauty and sees beauty. So let's just begin with a meditation today in Ezekiel 16. This is the same passage that we took our meditation from in the nurturing message. So God is describing his relationship with Israel in Ezekiel 16. And from the nurturing standpoint, we remember, we should remember that God says, look, um, when you were, when you were alone, abandoned as an infant in the wilderness, I walked by you and I rescued you. So God nurtures His people. And then as it moves along, the imagery changes and now Israel has grown up. Okay, so I'm going to read this beginning in verse 6. And when I pass by thee, I'm sorry, this is the part where, this is the nurturing part. Look at verse verse 7. Well, let me just read, starting in verse, in verse 4 to give, this, um, to give this context. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. So you're abandoned, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pity thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day thou wast born, And when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. So God is this nurturing, gracious, compassionate God whose heart is extended to those who are in this desperate place. And He takes them in their infancy and in their abandonment, and He nurtures them, and you expect that as they are nurtured, they grow. So now we move to the next scene. Verse 7. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee. And cover thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skin. And I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands, and a chain on thy neck. And I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ears, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Thus wast thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was of fine linen and silk embroidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour, and honey, and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper as 
prosper into a kingdom. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. Let's just stop right there before we read further. So this scene, of course, is not a child that needs to be rescued, but now it is a, it's, a, it's a wedding. This man, he comes along and he sees this woman and she's beautiful to him. And so he puts his skirt over her and he begins to care for her and he begins to provide for her all this wonderful uh, accoutrements that will, um, that will bring forth her beauty. And when it's finished, she stands forth and she is this exceedingly beautiful woman. This is Israel. And God says, you are, you are perfect in your beauty through my comeliness. I, 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 I gave to you and I blessed you and you are a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. And this is who Israel was. But then notice the next verses. Israel was beautiful, and Israel knew she was beautiful. And Israel begins to take pride in her own beauty. And she begins to see herself, and she begins to find her value in her own beauty, forgetting that it comes from the Lord, and she begins to trust in her beauty. So notice what happens. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty and placed the harlot because of thy renown, and poured out thy fornications on every one that passed by, as it was. And of thy garments thou didst take, and deckest thy high places with divers' colors, and placed the harlot therefore, the like things shall not come, neither shall it be so. You've taken your fair jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given thee, and made us to thyself images of men, and didst commit whoredom with them. And it continues on. And finally, in verse 25, it says, Thou hast built thy high place at every head of the way, and hast made thy beauty to be abhorred. What a scene. So Israel trusts in her beauty. She's beautiful. She trusts in her beauty. She begins to understand that her beauty can take her places and, and, and put her in, in places that she couldn't otherwise get to. And so she begins to use her beauty to get to the places that she wants. She's using her beauty to get her deeper desires. And eventually God says, your beauty is now no longer, no longer beautiful. You're not beautiful. You are abhorrent. And this is how God views Israel. Now remember, he, and he's very specific there. He says, listen, you took my gold. And you took my silver. So these are the giftings that God has given Israel to make Israel beautiful, but they come from God, right? And you've taken what I've given you, and you've created your images of these men, these false idols, taking what I gave you, and you've squandered it, so you are no longer beautiful. Now imagine that. It's true. Every bountiful gift comes from God. Every blessing comes from God. Every breath we breathe comes from God. Everything comes from God. And so what we do with what God gives matters, right? It matters to God. So it's no wonder that God is abhorring Israel now because of what He has provided for them and He has made them beautiful. Now they have squandered and now they are abhorrent. Now the question though is, is what will God do with this? Now, I'm going to turn back now to Isaiah 61. This is a passage that I think I actually used as a text for the wedding ceremony of Davis and Ali. <clears throat> what will God do with this abhorrent nation, this beauty that has been lost and is now horribly disgusting and disfigured and has been used for all the wrong purposes? 
The beauty of Israel is a distant memory, as you see even in their history. They eventually become so abhorrent to God that, that the whole nation is, is, just, is just scattered and dispersed. The temple, that which is this glorious emblem of beauty and majesty and righteousness and God's presence is taken apart stone by stone. All of the things, that the gold that belonged to God that He used to uh, bring it to the temple to bring forth His glory is stolen and taken to heathen nations. And so it should be shocking then to read passages like Isaiah 61 that speaks of something different than what we'd expect for such beauty squandered. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. And the word beauty here is really describing a tiara. So I'm going to give you um, from this scene in Ezekiel 16, what's going to replace that now is a, is a new tiara, a new a new uh, crown where it was this abhorrent ashes and burning and mourning, now the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. The rest of the chapter is wonderful, but let's move forward to verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's beautifying. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations." What a scene. This beauty that Israel trusted in is lost. They have divided themselves from God and from all the blessings and from the beauty. The beauty is a thing of the past, so far past that you can't even remember. And what does God do? Friends, you will never understand the beauty of God unless you understand the beauty of what God does. So let me just say that. God... His beauty is seen not only in just who He is. You can understand beauty, you need to understand this. But God's beauty is seen in what God does. What God does then is send forth His Son. The most beautiful object in His possession. Let's read this in, in Psalm 45. Let's just turn to Psalm 45. I want you to see this. I'm going to re- we read this psalm before prayer. I'm going to read this psalm again right now. Psalm 45, this is a psalm that describes the beauty of God. How committed is God to beauty? How committed is God to making things beautiful? Well, He sends forth His Son. 
As we sang in the first hymn today, redeeming love to, 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 he, to, to suffer in the traitor's place. He takes the dying traitor's place and suffers in his stead. That man, O oh miracle of grace, that for, for man the Savior bled. So that man could live, so we could see the beauty of the grace of God in, the, in human beings with God having redeemed them and washed them and changed them and now renewing them into the image of His own Son. Friends, God is about beauty. God is committed to beauty. God, a beautiful God is committed to making beautiful things. Praise the Lord for that. Do you believe that, by the way? You believe in God's beauty, but do you believe that God is committed to making all things beautiful? Ecclesiastes says that He will make all things beautiful in His time. Well, we see this promise through redemption. This is Psalm 45. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Here's the king. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. This is Jesus. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. So there, the, the, the beauty of God is being described. The beauty of the king is being described. He's, he's beautiful in his person. He's fairer than the children of men. But then it begins to describe how this beauty is, is actually seen. This beauty is seen in his truth and his righteousness and his meekness. His throne is a scepter of righteousness. He loves righteousness. He hates wickedness. And therefore, he's anointed as this beautiful, all with, with, above his fellows, the most beautiful thing. He who loves righteousness and does righteousness and acts meekly, this is true beauty. Okay? So what it's saying about God. Now it says this. Verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people, thy father's house. This is verse 11. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. For he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thy favor. The king's daughter, this is you if you're redeemed, the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought into the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins or companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into thy king's palace. Instead of thy father shall be thy children. There's, there's multiplying here. Whom thou makest, mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. We read that quickly, but here's what it's saying. It's saying the king, this beautiful king, desires your beauty. This king sees you. 
and he, there's something attractive to him. Now, this is, these are the same people who in Ezekiel 16 have made themselves abhorrent. Yet the king in his kindness, the king in his beauty, committed to them, sends his son to die in their stead, that they might be beautiful, and he greatly desires our beauty. Friends, that's grace. That's kindness. That's commitment. A God who is committed to making all things excellent, to making all things harmonious, to bringing all things in proportion. And as you look around you and you see objects in nature that, that, that are just stunningly beautiful, we got to spend some time, you know, uh, snorkeling a few weeks ago. I thought I would hate it. In fact, I said, don't buy me a mask. I'm not going to use it. And then the second day we bought a mask. Because it was, it was just stunning just to, just to sit there and watch one single fish that will never see the light of the, light of the rest of the, uh, the planet, right? But it's just there in this stunningly beautiful myriad colors and shapes and forms just to say that God is a beautiful God who makes things that are beautiful. And these are all signs to us, should be signs to us, that a God committed to this kind of beauty will ultimately make all things right. We will see this, friends, in the new heavens and the new earth where all will be well and all will be right and all will be in harmony and all will be in proportion and all will be glorious. It will be beautiful. This is who God is. He's a beautiful God committed to beauty. And so, therefore, it is fitting. It makes sense that God would create an image bearer who would be marked by beauty. So that beauty is integral, it's intrinsic, it's, 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 it's a part of what it means to be female. Adam sees Eve. He's immediately drawn to her. He is drawn, he's attracted to her. She was pleasing to his senses. This is a beauty that she had both in appearance, but also in her purpose. There's a beautiful purpose that God was doing when He was making Eve. He was making someone who would, who would be compatible, who would be suitable to Adam so that they could work together to bring about this glorious, beautiful plan that God had given to bring order and fruitfulness to this universe and to make all things beautiful. And so it's fitting that God would make an image bearer who's marked by beauty. But, this is a conversation that we are having after the fall, isn't it? And so therefore, every conversation, every discussion, every thought about beauty is just, this is reality, our relationship to beauty is complicated. Isn't it? Maybe even just saying the word provokes a response. Maybe the response for some of you is, wait a minute. Isn't beauty sinful? If we were really spiritual, then we would even, we'd just be blind. We wouldn't notice beauty. Because God is in the heart, so therefore, what's on the outside matters not at all. Well, that's not true. 
but we'll think about that more in the future. Or maybe just saying the word caused you to, maybe not with your hands, but maybe in your mind, just to check your hair real quick. Right? Maybe that's your relationship to beauty. Like, it's a constant thought. There's a certain amount of courage that it takes to come into the church today because there's there's a beauty struggle occurring. I don't think I'm speaking hypothetically, am I? Or maybe even hearing the word creates anguish. Maybe some of what I read in Ezekiel is familiar to you, that you have an experience of using your beauty, knowing that you're beautiful, using your beauty in a way that, that was ungodly and sinful. Or maybe, maybe you have always thought yourself to be just almost vile. You hate your appearance. And so it's a hard subject. Well, none of those thoughts are beautiful thoughts, are they? So how can we come to a subject like of, of beauty? God, a beautiful God, making females in His, his image bearers to, 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 uh, to, tr- to, to relate and express beauty. How can this be such a horrible thing to think about and hard thing to think about? Well, let me just say this. Scripture is a thorough furnisher unto all good works. And so I think this deserves a careful and cautious yet confident Examination, okay? Beauty is good. It's good to be a man, and it's good to be a woman. God did not make a mistake when He made them male and female. God knew what He was doing. And thank the Lord, God sent His Son Jesus to purchase us from our sins, but also to renew our minds. So this does not have to be a painful subject. Okay? So what is beauty in thinking about beauty and women? What is beauty? Well, we just said it. It's image bearing. Something that resembles God. So know that. Beauty is not just something. It's something that's something vital. Something important. It's, something that image, it's, it's an image bearing trait. It's how we image and express and resemble and look at and reflect the glory of God. So let me just say two things generally that are very important to understand. Number one, Scripture defines beauty holistically. Okay? You can't just get one trait and say, that's beautiful. So if you're to bring somebody, if you're just making an observation, you see somebody walk by and go, well, is that person beautiful or not? You would have to say, I don't know yet. Okay? I don't think that's the way we think much of the time. This is the way that Scripture defines beauty. It's holistic. It's more than just one part. It's both and. There's a physical expression of beauty, and there's an inner beauty. You can't just have the external and have beauty. Okay? We know that, but it's really important to say that. Secondly, beauty, biblically, is not static. It's active. Biblically, it's either creating or it's destroying. It's either increasing or it's decreasing. In other words, this is really important to understand, God has designed beauty to work this way. That from beauty comes beauty. Okay? From beauty comes beauty. 
This is exactly what we see in God. We just read this, Psalm 45, Ezekiel 16, Isaiah 61. God's a beautiful God, and because He is beautiful, therefore, He's going to make beautiful things. Therefore, He's going to work towards beautiful things. This is so incredibly different than how the world normally thinks of beauty. Something that you either have or you don't. Something that is purely external. You're working for it, and when you have it, it belongs to you. Scripture says, no, it's different. Scripture says that women are image bearers of God as much or more for the beauty they create as the beauty they have. Does that make sense? So intrinsic to the understanding of beauty is that beauty has an outward expression. We've talked about nurturing. We've talked about relationships. Well, the way that beauty intersects with relationships is beauty looks to make relationships beautiful, harmonious. This is the story of Proverbs 31. Look at this in a few minutes. Proverbs 31 ends with, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. Is he saying that beauty is a bad thing, a sinful thing, that external beauty is sinful? No, he's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is that if, if the external is all that the focus is on, that it's vain, it's empty. But true beauty, Proverbs 31 is going to say, true beauty is seen in what the image bearer makes beautiful. Okay? And then you see true beauty. True beauty doesn't waste away. Scripture says the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Okay? So that's just some general, general uh, sort of head, uh, foundational things. Umbrellas to cover the topic. But now let's think about how the, the traits of beauty according to Scripture. So what is, what is beauty? What is, what is it? Well, there are several different words in Scripture that are used to describe what, is, what beauty means, what it looks like, and are very helpful. So let's start here. Trait number one. Beauty is something physical. Okay? There's external pleasure to the senses is really the idea. There's a word for beauty in Scripture that is almost exclusively external, physical, on the outside. I want to emphasize that. That's good. That's okay. That's God's design. The original meaning of this word had carried ideas like figure, form. We see the word used in Scripture, fair and comely. Sometimes it's described to relate to the hair, to the eyes, to other parts of, 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 our, of our bodies. You might read Song of Solomon and other places like that describing physical beauty. There are many individual women in the Scripture. Abigail, Vashti, Esther, Rachel, Bathsheba, others who this word is used of, who are described as being beautiful people. It's used of the King, Jesus, in Isaiah 33, that we shall, that we shall see the King in His beauty. And it's also the word we just read in Psalm 45 when the king is greatly desiring our beauty. There's something that is pleasant to the senses that God desires from us. It's incredible, isn't it? 
So beauty is physical. Beauty is external. Beauty is all the things that God has given us. Hair and eyes and feet and our whole beings. Christian understanding does not reject the reality that God has made beautiful things and partly intrinsic to being a woman is being beautiful. Now, in thinking about this physical part, we can say this. Let me give you several things. Number one, regarding the physical, Scripture teaches that beauty is both real and it's good. So let me just just acknowledge this. Some would shrink away from physical beauty because the physical has been so emphasized. Would you agree with that? And so overemphasized that often women can feel and even be treated, considered to just be a physical object. And so the conclusion is that the, 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 uh, the external must be sinful to give beauty on the external. Many have been exploited. But friends, the scriptures say, Psalm 139, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That's our whole being. In Psalm 139, he's describing the forming of the human body. And of God's thoughts, his numerous thoughts in forming the human body. And he says, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. We must avoid any sort of a Gnostic mentality that would say that they would say the soul is good and the body is evil. God made them male and female. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Our bodies will be resurrected from a vile body to a glorious body in the last day. God has made us. We are not just we are not just um, just souls. We are we we are complex beings made of body and soul and spirit. And our bodies belong to the Lord and God took pleasure in making our bodies and we must use them for His glory. Our bodies reflect God's love for beauty. And our bodies fit into God's purposes for human flourishing and joy. So beauty is not a sin and beauty is not a societal creation to exploit women. Has there been exploitation? Absolutely. Has the body been, uh, the, the, the female, uh, females been looked at as only a physical object? Absolutely. And yet, to have a Christian understanding, the Christian approach, we want to build towards flourishing and goodness and joy. That's when we look at the whole of what it means to be beautiful. Next, understand this. Physical beauty, according to Scripture, is subjective. It's subjective. Beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. Praise God for that, right? God is a God who delights in making diverse beings. I'm thankful we don't all look the same. And that's not an accident by God. God knew what He was doing when He made us. Praise God for this again. Beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. There is no detailed description of what it means to be beautiful in the Bible. The closest I could come to that was I was studying, and there's this passage in Isaiah 3, I think it's verse 24, and God is, God is uh, 
he, he's describing some judgment he's going to bring to Israel. And this judgment is, 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 is in physical, is in physical uh, imagery. And so he says, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to take your well-set hair, and I'm going to give you baldness, and I'm going to take your, your beauty, and I'm going to give you burning. So the, the, the picture there really is of a very, 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 very sunburned person with no hair. Well, I've been there before. <laughs> <laughs> and so certainly, certainly, there is, there is we, we can recognize beauty, but thank God there is no detailed description. This is beautiful, this is not. Thank God, God gives both diversity and variety, and He gives pleasure in that. Next, understand this. But he alluded to it, but I want to say it, it's very important. Beauty is sovereignly distributed. Our, 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 we are each individually, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Individually. God did not use a cookie cutter and just, just put some dough out and just start stamping out the same Thanksgiving leaf or whatever. He didn't do that. But God took care and precision. This is the message from God to Moses, isn't it, Nexus? Moses, who is it that makes the dumb? And who is it that makes the deaf? And who is it that makes the seeing? It's me, in the slowest speech. It's me. I did this. This is seen even as close a family as two sisters in Genesis chapter 29. Remember Leah and Rachel? And it says, this, verse 17, it says, And Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Now, by the way, sometimes I like to think of what old commentators were like, personality-wise. And this is a, this is a verse that just shows that most of the old commentators spent too much time in their, in their offices just trying to think and and right, and so it's hilarious to read some of the commentary. Uh, there's some that think that tender-eyed means that Leah had blue eyes. They didn't like blue-eyed people. I don't know. And then there were others who who thought that it meant that Leah had a lot of red in her eyes. No idea where they got it from. And then there were others who thought that it meant that Leah had drooping eyes. And then there were others who thought it had nothing to do with eyes at all. But just a, it's just a general term people used to use to think about people that weren't as attractive as others. Who knows? But clearly, there's a, I was thinking of the red-eyed guy. The, I mean, anyway, it's just crazy. Um, but clearly, there is the difference between Leah and Rachel. And, 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 and Jacob loved and desired Rachel in a way that he didn't Leah. And who was in charge of making Leah and Rachel? It was God. A beautiful God. A good God. A God who's committed to making all things beautiful in His time. So God is sovereign in dispensing of our physical traits. And then the last thing I'll say about this on the physical side is, Scripture portrays women's beauty as being very powerful. Okay? So God makes 
us in physical beings. He does it on purpose. It's real. It's good. It's designed for His glory. It's designed for human flourishing. It's solidly distributed and it's powerful. And Scripture is filled with descriptions, both positive and negative, of how this physical, uh, this physical beauty is powerfully wielded, both for good and for bad. So you should understand that if you're, if you're a woman, if you're female, understand your physical uh, being is powerful. And so you should th- give thought to that and wield it for great good. And great joy. It's not an evil thing. It's a good thing. And it's a powerful thing. Well, the world really stops right there. At least the, the, the modern cultural thought stops right there. In terms of beauty, it stops right at the physical. Praise the Lord. The Bible describes a great, much, much, much greater and more beautiful understanding of beauty. With no diminishing of the reality that God makes Beautiful things physically. Scripture goes further. So there's another word that's used in Scripture for beauty that really just, it really just speaks of splendor and glory and majesty and prominence. And it's not so much a physical thing as it is an inner character being thing. In fact, this word for beauty is sometimes rendered beauty in Scripture. And sometimes it's rendered roebuck. Who would you ever guessed? Beauty and roebuck. Same word. So the picture is as if it's glorious. In this case, male deer who is sure-footed. And just looking at this deer, you go, wow, that's, that's amazing. That, that, there's, there's glory there. There's splendor there. He can move fast. He can... Fight strong. He can navigate uneven surfaces. And there's just a glory to it that God describes. This is something that is deeper than physical. It's something that is inner. Isaiah 4 verse 2 describes this splendor and glory that Zion will have. And it says it's beautiful. This is what Scripture is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3. You know that passage? In 1 Peter 3... Let's turn there. This passage has been used, I think, uh, improperly in some ways. But it's a wonderful passage. It's talking to women who are in difficult relationships. Not just difficult relationships with those who are, um, who are uh, against God and against them. So there's strife in the relationship. One who's acting as an unbeliever, not obeying the word. And so, Scripture is saying, here's what it's, let me just read this. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. So the, there is no subjection to the word in their heart at all. So there, there's, there's no respect for God's word. There's no respect for obedience to God's word. And he says, yet still, God can win them through just, just your conversation, through your conduct and just your being. It's amazing. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. 
whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. What's he saying here? Let me say what he's not saying. He's not teaching that enhancing our physical beauty is, is evil. It's not what he's teaching. What he is saying is, don't think for a moment that your physical beauty, as powerful as it is, is anywhere close to the power and the splendor of your walk with God. When you are walking in the fear of God, and you're walking in obedience to God, this is a stunning power. God sees this, and God says, I am stunned, I'm amazed, look at how valuable this is. It's beautiful. God is not looking at the hair here. Yes, He made the hair. He delights in the hair. But God's saying, I'm seeing something that's far more powerful, far more beautiful than that, and that is, you are walking in a meek and a quiet way. You're trusting God. You're seeking to obey God yourself. And God says, I can use this in a way that not even your physical beauty can wield its powers. Your adversary may be melted by seeing the stunning glory of what God says, like the roebuck. It's just like, wow, look at their being. She fears God. She walks with God. She trusts God. God says, this is beauty. So understand, beauty must be understood holistically. It's not just external. It's external. There's something far more. It's the character that's splendor and glorious. And then the third word that's used, or a third sort of idea that's used of beauty in Scripture is this. It's, sort of, it's related to the second one, but it's this. It's, it's our actions. It's disposition. It's what we do. It's what you do. So the, the, the verses, one of the verses is Psalm 27, verse 4. We know that verse very well, right? One thing about a desire of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may... Dwell all the, my days in the house, Lord, to what? To behold His beauty. But that word for beauty is really something that is, is more, I mean, uh, behold His pleasantness, His grace, His favor, His kindness. And what is it saying? It's saying that we can see the beauty of the Lord by seeing what He does. Proverbs 3, verse 17 is. Is, uh, is the same word when it says, her ways are the ways of pleasantness. So there is this kindness and this grace that's being dispensed that is pleasant. And the Bible says this is what is beautiful. Psalm 90 is the same thing. Lord, we want to see your beauty establish the work of our hands. By God's work of grace in our lives, we see beauty. We experience beauty. Romans 10 and Isaiah 52, where it talks about how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that publish the peace and good tidings. This is the same idea. It is you can see beauty by how they come to bring us good news. 
And this is exactly what we see displayed so prominently in Proverbs 31. So let's turn there for a moment to see this in Proverbs 31. This is what Lemuel's mother saw so clearly. So look at verse 11 to start with. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Let me ask you a question. Have have the trees of Memphis suddenly become ugly? No. Has springtime in Memphis suddenly lost its blossom? No. So what's wrong with Memphis right now, then you would say? The beauty's still there. But what's wrong in some ways is that you can't be 100% sure when you're driving down the road next to somebody else whether they are committed to your good or evil. That's not beautiful, is it? You can't be sure. This is not just Memphis, but it's many places. You can't be sure the person knocking on your door is committed to your good or your evil. It's not beautiful. Friend, when you have someone who you know might be perfect, but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, they will not do me evil. She will do him good all days of her life. Is there anything more beautiful than that? If you're married to a woman who you know won't be perfect, but you know their overarching theme is to do you good, and you're not communicating that back to them, saying, this is beautiful, and you're beautiful, then maybe, maybe we need to have a a 2 Timothy 3.16 session right now of some instruction again and some correction, reproof to get our minds back focused on what God sees and how God has designed beauty. Listen to this. She sees, this is verse 15, she riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. So there's a recognition. There is a need for food. People have to eat or they're going to die. And so she gets up and she prepares the food so they won't die. Is that not beautiful? Is it not beautiful? She considers a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. She says, you know what? We're going to need some more income coming in. Because of this problem or that problem or maybe this, this new child or whatever it is. You know what? I, I bet you that piece of land over there would make a really good vineyard. Is that not beautiful? Investing in the future? You can just go on and on and on through this passage. She sees somebody that's poor. She doesn't walk away. She reacheth forth her hand to the needy. Is that not Beautiful. By the way, she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. In other words, she's not ignoring the external either. 
Is that not beautiful? She has a good understanding that, listen, my, my, that, 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 uh, that, that beauty is, is, uh, is not only external, but it is external. I hope that we've at least established that today, that friends, a Christian understanding of, of, of beauty, that females are not evil. It's not evil to be female. It's not evil to have a female body. It's good. You can go on and on and on moving through this rest of this scene and just see that this beauty is far more encompassing. By the way, the word in Romans, the word in Romans uh, 10 and Isaiah 52 is really appropriate and at the right time. That's what it really means. So coming in at the right hour, the gospel of good news has come to us. And so we say, that's beautiful. Thank you, Lord, for bringing at the appropriate time the gospel of peace that we need to hear so much. And we say, how beautiful are the mountains are the feet of those who publish good tidings and bring good peace. So again, it's disposition, it's activity, it's behavior, it's working towards good, it's kindness, it's grace. It's the fear of God and it's external. And yet we live after the fall. The fall. And the fall has complicated this so much, hasn't it? When we come together next time, we're going to think of just for a few minutes about things like this. A mathematical, symmetrical algorithm that underlines our perception of attractiveness. That a visually balanced face is 1.618 times longer than wide. And the distance from the top of the nose to the center of the lips should be 1.618 times the distance from the center of the lips to the chin. The golden ratio, the divine proportion. And as we kind of chuckle, we also understand there's a whole lot of complication that comes with a world like that, isn't there? Complication that's not just on the outside, but that every single one of you, I guarantee you, have some relationship in a struggling way with. But I hope in just seeing the design will cause you to gaze at, I mean, now the next time, will gaze at the beauty of the Lord. The Lord is majestic because He is. He's eternal. He's perfect. And He's made from an eternal, perfect God comes beautiful things, beautiful creations. Beautiful creations that have marred themselves by the fall of sin. But a God committed to beauty is not flummoxed by the fall, is He? A God committed to beauty is committed to beauty. He's committed to making all things beautiful in His time. And so the glory of God is seen in the beauty of His Son, Jesus Christ, fairest Lord Jesus, fairer than all of nature, And His fairness, His beauty, His comeliness is seen. The one who had no form or comeliness, who had no beauty we should desire Him, becomes the most precious, glorious object in our minds. And He is working. Both through His redemption, by His blood, we we receive these white robes of righteousness and glory. Beauty used for ashes, a tiara for ashes, 
the oil of joy from mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. This is what God is doing in our lives. May we seek to understand beauty that way, and may we pursue beautiful things. Beautiful things, powerful things. Beautiful things that are full of grace and kindness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for um, just the voluminous information about this subject in your word. Thank you for both the warnings and the instruction to pull us out of um, um, wrong thinking. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for physical bodies. And Lord, thank you for going deeper than just the physical and creating truly beautiful things through your redemptive work. Help us, Lord, to help our children navigate these areas with grace and wisdom. Help us to navigate them well ourselves. As the external beauty fades with time, may we experience and live out an increasing beauty through our inward man being renewed day by day. Father, for anybody who, and I'm sure there are some here today, who, are, who have experienced and are in bondage right now over this very subject, will you allow them to see, into, see in your word and in your work um, something that is glorious and beautiful? That they would not abhor, they don't, they don't either trust in their beauty nor abhor beauty, but be able to walk in a balanced way with grace. That is theirs in Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.